Sup Freaks, this is your boy Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt. I was joined by our boy Matt O'Dell. We sat down with Will Cole from Unchained Capital to talk about his journey to Unchained, the products that they're working on at Unchained, why they build the products the way they do, how they're going to try to bring products that uh, are true to Bitcoin's ethos to the market. Uh, We also talked about a bunch of the stuff that Will did in Wyoming to help get uh, some laws passed there uh, and create a Bitcoin safe haven within the United States. I'm not going to mention any more. You guys are going to listen to the episode so we find out what we talked about. But huge fan of Will. Great Bitcoiner. Doing incredible work. I think you guys are really going to like this episode. This episode is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. Disclaimer. Unchained is a sponsor. Will works for Unchained. So just know that going into this. Unchained Capital is helping... Bitcoiners by creating financial services for Bitcoiners with a security-first mindset. Security-first mindset, what's that mean? Well, they have products, mainly their Vault product, which allows you to engage in a multi-sig quorum with Unchain, which you hold two or three keys on a ledger or Trezor, um, and soon to be a cold card. Soon, TM, it's coming. You'll hear it in the episode. Uh, you hold two or three keys. Unchain has the third key. If you ever want to move your Bitcoin out of the vault, out of the multi-sig vault, you can do that by yourself. If you're ever in a pinch, you only have one key on you and uh, you need to move your Bitcoin, Unchained is there to be that second signature in that two or three quorum. On top of that, they have uh, Bitcoin collateralized loans. If you don't want to sell your Bitcoin and you need some US dollar liquidity, you can take out a loan using Bitcoin as collateral. You put some Bitcoin up as collateral, you get same day US dollar liquidity. On top of that, they're working on incredible open source projects, uh, including Caravan, which we talk about in this episode, uh, Caravan is an open source desktop app that allows you to create the multi-sig quorums used in their Vault program. So if you don't want Unchained involved at all, you just want to create a multi-sig in an easy way. They have Caravan uh, to, that allows you to do that. Very easy. Matt O'Dell has set up multi-sigs while drunk with American HODL and keep it simple Bitcoin. Uh, on top of that, we're going to slip 39 and Hermit. We dive into Hermit in this episode, too, because it's really cool. Oh, or did we miss it? That might have been the uh, the post-episode talk. We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, and then they have their blog series, Gradually Then Suddenly, with Parker Lewis. Uh, Will's writing good content. Drew's talking about hotaways, Bitcoin and Space. Joe Kelly's adding to the mix, as well as Phil Geiger. Geiger, excuse me, go to www.unchained-capital.com. Check all this out. That's www.unchained-capital.com. Check out everything they got going on. On top of this, this episode is also you, also you, also you, also brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. Cash App. All right, they're helping you do many things. We're going to start with sats. Sorry, you can stack sats, send sats, receive sats, sell sats if you so please. On top of that, you can make sats a standard within the app so you don't have any unit buys problems and Bitcoin doesn't seem as expensive. You're stacking sats, not Bitcoin. Well, you're doing both, but it depends on how you want to how you want to look at it. Uh, on top of that, they're allowing you to DCA in the stats. What's DC in the sats, not stats? Uh, they keep your stats though so you can see when you're buying and, and how much and at what price. Uh, but you can dollar cost average into sats you can set it and forget it uh, if you want to buy at a certain cadence with a certain amount you can now do that within the app on top of the st- sats they're letting you stacks livers of stonks you freaks already know all about it all right you don't have to i just have to let you know it's there the optionality exists if your favorite stonks a little too ex- expensive 
and you want to uh, invest in that stock, stack a sliver of that stock, you can buy as little as $1 with Cash App investing because the Cash App is directly connected to your bank account or it may be your bank account. They now have accounting numbers and routing numbers. You can directly deposit your bank, your bank checks. No, your work checks, your uh, income into the Cash App now. Uh, so you can do it all in one spot. It could be a Neo Bank because it is a Neo Bank that you're using as your bank account or because it's directly connected to another bank account that you have. There's no four to five day waiting period. Start stacking sats and slivers of stonks today. Cash App Investing is a subsidiary square and member SIPC. As always, make sure you use the code stacking sats. It's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And $10 is going to go to Owls Lacrosse. When you download the app, use the code stacking sats. You're going to get $10 that you can then use to stack sats. And our good friends at Owls Lacrosse in Chicago, they're doing incredible things. Uh, they're going to get $10. Not to be confused with that dirtbag Al. He, he won't go away. He's harassing the podcast. I might have to I might have to get like a podcast restraining order on this dirtbag Al. We're, we may we may set a a precedent in law with a podcast restraining order on this dirtbag Al. We're going to look into it, freaks. Use the code stacking sets and uh, Al's lacrosse, not that dirtbag Al. <laughs> down the cash app and enjoy this episode we'll call credible credible conversation you've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free if you talk about a fed just gone nuts all all the central banks going nuts so it's all acting like safe haven I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty Bent here. What a beautiful Friday afternoon. It's beautiful where I am. I'm excited uh, to take a walk outside after we after this recording, but before that walk we have a lot to talk about matt odell's is with us today sub freaks and we're both sitting down with one of the last bitcoiners we met in person before this whole quarantine and lockdown uh madness started a, a few months ago we're sitting down with the chief product officer of unchained capital our good friends at unchained capital will cole how are you doing howdy marty howdy matt good to see y'all good to see you too it's a long time coming uh for you freaks that don't know, I've, I've known Will on the internet for quite some time now. We've been we've been talking in back channels for a while. One of uh, one of my favorite Bitcoiners who's been doing a lot of important work. Most recently moved to Unchained Capital to work on their product team from Stack Overflow. Huge pickup for the Unchained team. Um, I'm not going to explain all you've done for Bitcoin. I'll let you do or, or all that you do in Bitcoin. Uh, you've done a lot of work in Wyoming. Yeah. Uh, before we jump into everything, though, Will, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came to Bitcoin, and and what you're doing at Unchained? Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do that. But before, this is really fun. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and uh, we've talked about it. And you guys are awesome. Uh, I I think I think I met you before you started the podcast, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I think so as well. I, I think I think we were talking like maybe briefly before, but it was before for sure. Yeah, yeah. And look, and look what you've done. This is incredible. Or both of you. I mean, like, <laughs> well, the, the feeling is mutual. Look what you've done and what you're doing. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Well, thanks again for having me on. This is going to be fun. Um, yeah, so my background, uh, as you mentioned, uh, been been hanging around the Bitcoin world for a while now. Um, recently started at Unchained Capital uh, last December. Um, and really, I mean, yeah, my, my background starts, you know, 2011, 2012 time of getting into Bitcoin. Um, you know, living in New York City uh, in the wake of... of QE and the financial crisis and all the things going on. I think the, I think, you know, my, my memory could be a little bit shot here, but I remember, um, you know, I took, I took a, a strong interest in gold around that time. Um, and I hadn't heard about Bitcoin yet in, you know, 2009, 2010. And I was just starting my gold journey when I uh, found out about Bitcoin, you know, Peter Schiff and, Rickards and all that type of stuff. And it sucks that they hate Bitcoin because I was really liking their stuff uh, uh, at that time. And uh, yeah, uh, it was sort of well-primed uh, just living in New York. I was working in uh, uh, at Thomson Reuters at the time, making uh, financial products for investment banks and things like that. And uh, watching half of our clients just disappear, <laughs> you know, in, in, in five months and uh, all the havoc that was going on there. I would say that I was uh, I was looking uh, and primed to uh, to find something that was not uh, the legacy system, but uh, but really it was it was my brother, uh, my brother Napoleon. He uh, he got into it. I was complaining. He was the one doing all the the sleuthing online, and uh, and he 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 introduced me to the idea in 2011. Uh, like everyone that I think you've ever had on the podcast, uh, you know, didn't do enough about it at the time, uh, but. Um, but decided that, uh, you know, stop doing my own startups, go join another startup, make some money, buy some Bitcoin, uh, joined, um, stack overflow and actually fell in love with the product and what I was doing there. Um, and, uh, stayed there for a while until, uh, Unchained came calling. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your experience at stack overflow. Cause I think that's why I was so excited when you came to Unchained capital because stack overflow is a product it's a great product, especially mm -hmm. a developer and it's a developer focused product and Bitcoin's uh, heavily depends on developers making sure that it is secure and it has a good uh, community. And that's so that's one thing with Stack Overflow. It sort of facilitates a community community uh, of developers. Is that correct? Assumption? Yeah, um, I, I think it facilitates thousands of communities of developers. I think that's one of the dangerous misconceptions of Stack Overflow. And, you know, I don't I don't speak for the company anymore. I don't work there. But, I, you know, I did for eight years. And it's challenging with that many people, right? It is community focused, like a Wikipedia, like Reddit and things like that. And um, I really liked the sort of origin story at Stack Overflow, which was, you know, Stack, Stack didn't, you know, it wasn't the, you know, all the stuff that's going on with Twitter, with free speech and everything. We, we never had that problem. From the very beginning, it was, this is not a place for free speech. We are creating an artifact that is a question and an answer pair. If you want to talk about things that aren't in the format of a question and answer pair, you can go anywhere else on the internet to do so. We were like heavily moderated. We we're famous for moderation. It was that we are solving a problem of it's really hard to find high quality, high signal information on specific problems for programmers. I mean, some you go to Barnes and Nobles and find a book and then like shift through it until and it's like, oh, but that's an old version of this. You go look on 
you know, different uh, coding forums or IRC and you're on page nine, you know, of pagination. And it's like, oh, did the, the correct answer is not till page 14. Um, we were we were really singularly focused on that question answer pair. And but the truth is, is that most people don't experience Stack Overflow as a monolithic single community right? You go to Stack Overflow because you're a Python developer. You don't know what's going on in our world or in C-sharp world. So it's really thousands of communities. And there's overlap, sure, you know, between your tech stack. Um, and I think that's one of the problems that we, that we run into lots of times is people expect it to be just one thing. It's, there are more people on Stack Overflow than there are programmers in the world, right? Um, yeah, yeah. You know, people that have to do a little bit of programming on the side or something like that um, for their jobs. Um, uh, they, you know, want to do a side project, uh, anything like that. Um, you know, by our best estimates, when I was working there, we thought there were around 27 to 30 million programmers and Stack Overflow itself had 45 million people using it every single month. Um, unique people. And um so really that was a long rant to say, you know, it's it's not just the community separation on the Stack Exchange network, like there's Stack Overflow, then there's Bitcoin Stack Exchange and Mathematics Stack Exchange. It's like even within those things, each tag itself is almost its own community and it can't be governed really monolithically. So, yeah. Yeah, no, Bitcoin Stack Exchange is one of my pl favorite resources. Shout out to Merch and everybody who helps curate that that exchange, particularly. If you're, oh yeah, they've done a question about Bitcoin. It's probably been asked there before. They've done an excellent job there. Uh, the really high signal, one of the best uh, resources I think on the internet for you know keeping up to date information if you're you know if you're trying to connect your node over the tour network or something like that you're going to find a good answer there um and people like merch the moderators on these sites do all the dirty deeds that's the way stack overflow works is it's not the people working there that are curating all the content it's the moderators of each individual site and they do a lot of you know uh unsung work <laughs> oh, it is and that's it, that's my favorite place. And that's why I love about Bitcoin Optech too. They have like a Bitcoin stack exchange highlight of the week. And yeah, you can go there. Peter Wool is answer questions. Uh, the people building out the protocol are answering questions at the Bitcoin stack exchange. So if you freaks haven't checked that out, definitely go peep it. Um, especially if you have like a technical question about Bitcoin. Again, it's probably been asked there. Uh, and well, so you transition from stack overflow, working on that product to building Bitcoin native products at Unchained Capital. What was that transition like? Uh, how did you sort of change hats there? It's, it's, it seems like two very different products. Yeah, really different products. And, you know, I, I, you know, the whole time I was at Stack, I had this theory, you know, I was working as the VP of product there and we, you know, built out a product team, product managers, designers. And I had this idea of building out that team that the least important thing and hiring those types of people was domain expertise. I Meaning if you got really smart people that understood software development, they could create pretty much any software that they wanted to. And you see this in Bitcoin, you know, most people come in pretty green, they spend some time, they do reviews, they do, you know, and then they start contributing on more trivial things and then more serious things is that the domain expertise is less important than, um, than you know, the, the ability to, you know, understand product development cycles and be an expert in that. So I wasn't worried about transitioning also because I had the enthusiasm of being around Bitcoin. I mean, the entire time I was at Stack Overflow. 
but the impetus for the transition was really that I had like a, let's say kind of a flawed view of Bitcoin entrepreneurship, which was, you know, for a long time I looked at it and I said, if I'm not contributing to the core protocol, then there's not much else to do. And I was actually searching around for ways to do that. I'd talk to guys like John Newberry, um, Steve Lee, you know, uh, to see if there was anything I could do. There was the whole bit process and like, oh, I could do some writing or something. But the reality was, is, you know, with a demanding job at Stack, I wasn't going to be able to do much there. And, um, and I found an outlet actually in Wyoming. And that really opened up the doors, um, you know, joining the blockchain task force out there last year in 2019 um, and going in thinking like, oh, this is a way I can, you know, spend a limited amount of time and actually do something good for the Bitcoin world, you know, uh, trying to create legislation and lend expertise that would um, create a favorable jurisdiction for Bitcoin companies. Like that's a, that's a worthy thing to spend my time on. And turns out there's a lot of Bitcoin companies circling around uh, that, these events, you know, all the sessions that we hold. And uh, there was a little bit of me just realizing that my view of Bitcoin entrepreneurship, there, that there was, that I had a skill set that, that would be valuable in Bitcoin and that, um, and that I could contribute quite a bit. And there was a lot of like shame, <laughs> like just being shamed by people. So like, they're like, you know so much about this. What the fuck are you doing? Like stack's cool. <laughs> like, thanks. But like, what the fuck, dude? Like, you're wasting your life. And um, I got enough of that that uh, I realized that I really was. Um, uh, not that Stack, I mean, Stack is a really cool place. But, uh, you know, follow your passion. Do, do the thing that you really love. Yeah, I mean, oh gosh, I don't know where I want to go now. <laughs> Let's focus on Wyoming for a little bit. We touched on that before. Actually, last time we touched on it was with Trace Mayer. He seems mm-hmm. to be a persona non grata right now, but uh, shake my head. Um, so, what what was that experience like working with the legislator there, um, having conversations uh, with these these politicians, and and what did you guys get accomplished, and and how is this good for Bitcoin? I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot. Yeah, and Trace was circling around there. This is before you know the. <laughs> The, all the stuff with American Hoddle and all that, and yeah, you know, I, I won't get into that because I haven't talked to Trace since that happened. I don't, I don't think anyone has really. But uh, anyway, uh, he he was great in Wyoming, and um, and uh, I went in actually kind of skeptical uh, there. So they were uh, they they had actually started in uh, 2018. I wasn't a part of the the first sort of iteration of it, and uh, it was a legislator named Tyler Lindholm who was really the champion within Wyoming that wanted to do something there. And, you know, really simple idea, which is Wyoming is an economy that is dependent on energy um, and tourism, basically, for their entire, you know, GDP. And that's where all the jobs are. And they needed to diversify the economy. And um, they wanted to find an unfair way to compete. And... That's, that's kind of a cool setup here. So he was he was looking at this saying, like, there's something happening in the world here, and uh, we have the opportunity to outflank every other jurisdiction because that is that is the goal there, right, is they're competing with other sovereigns to create a jurisdiction that is attractive to individuals and businesses that want to deal with this sort of new economy. And being Wyoming, they, uh, you know, they're, they're just a small state, right? Everyone knows each other. Uh, you know, there's not a lot of left-right 
political infighting, you know, at the, at the legislative group, and everyone kind of had a singular goal here. And the way it's set up is um, you have these experts, uh, you know, come into the public. Uh, they're invited to the sessions. They get to testa testify on why it sucks to be in New York City living under the bit license. And we get to look at each other and say, okay, cool. Let's create the anti-bit license, right? Fuck them. Let's, uh, let's outflank them every way we can. And, um, and these legislators are pretty passionate about it and they bring in this sort of domain expertise to the public and they invited a few citizens, Caitlin Long, which I'm sure people, the freaks here are familiar with, um, uh, Matt Kaufman, who's a security, I think the only securities lawyer in Wyoming, uh, another awesome uh, person and myself joined last year to, uh, help out on these things. Um, and what we accomplished, I mean, there's a lot, uh, first of all, Wyoming was in a bad spot when this all started. So all, most of the exchanges had pulled out of Wyoming um, between you know, 2015 and 2017 because of their interpretation of Wyoming's money transmitter uh, license rules. Basically, they decided that they couldn't operate there. And you know, I had my mother-in-law had bought Bitcoin already, and she was on Coinbase and hadn't moved you know, uh, to control her own keys yet. Her keys, her Bitcoin was locked up for three years. Coinbase would not allow you to access them. It was a fucking... Really? Oh, it was a disaster. Yeah. And they wouldn't answer any emails. There was no customer support. You know, like nothing. Like just forced hodl, which, you know, not the worst thing in the world. But at the same time, scary shit. Um, and they're crypto forward, though. I think they have some good customer support. They give you your crypto three years forward, you know. And, and uh -huh. yeah, I think that's what it means, yeah. No, I mean, nightmare scenario though, right? Like you can't, I mean, she couldn't even log into her account, much less, you know, they weren't blocking a transaction or anything. She just couldn't access it. Send in, I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, I think there were a few other states like that. Um, I think Minnesota got hit by it, Hawaii. Um, there, there were like four MTL issues uh, in states. Um, I could be wrong. Sorry, I only know for sure of Wyoming, but I know there were a few other. Um, and when the task force started up, like the first thing they did, the first accomplishment was let's change this MTL to signal to everyone that, you know, at least get to parity that these companies can operate here, these on-ramp, off-ramp companies. Um, so that, that, that passed really, really quickly, uh, which in most places, it's hard to get legislation like that through. We tried this year to uh, eliminate the uh, MTL license entirely. That was one of the things that I worked really hard on. And um, unfortunately, I think out of the like 26 bills that have been pushed, that's like one of three that has been turned down. So I lost that uh, that one. You can always bring it back up. Yeah, I mean, you know, it could take a few years. But uh, uh, I, I believe Montana is the only state that does not have a money transmitter license. Um, based on what I had researched when we were going through that. But, you know, really all that stuff was sort of the reach parity. I would say, you know, there's a lot of things that have been accomplished in this time. Uh, the, the really big one is the SPDI, uh, the Special Purpose Depository Institution. I think Trace probably talked about that last time, so I won't go into too much detail, except that they're taking applications now. So people that might have heard it back then, it was still sort of a conceptual thing. Uh, it was still waiting to be passed and amended. Um, there are, you know, tens, if not hundreds of applications in already. Um, I won't divulge any of the names, but some there, there'll be some big announcements. Uh, I think one that's actually been announced is Caitlin's Avanti um, uh, bank that uh, she's building. They've already announced that they're going through that process and uh, we'll start seeing our first 
SPDI um, companies um, come online here, you know, uh, either really late this year or early next year. Um, and the, the the significance of that, I mean, I think there's a couple things. One is, you know, Wyoming was the inventor of the LLC. Pretty unknown thing, but uh, Wyoming LLCs are still super popular because of their privacy, um, uh, their privacy governance. You don't have to disclose the name of directors and some things that where, you know, I think Delaware, Wyoming, South Dakota are probably, Nevada are probably the largest issuers of LLCs in, in the nation. And I think Wyoming's done it again here. I think what we've come up with with the SPDI is a new corporate formation that's going to be really attractive to um, Bitcoin financial service companies, um, custodians, payment processors that they'll at least have some form of their business is my prediction over the next couple of years operating out of Wyoming because of the benefits. Um, some of those benefits are you get a much better connection into the fiat world. Right now we know of so many companies that get cut off from the fiat world because of uh, their lack of participation in the Federal Reserve Group of Banks. SPDIs are eligible for that access, which I know that you know some people are gonna say Bitcoin doesn't give a shit about that stuff. Totally true, Bitcoin's fine without it. This just helps, right? Um, it, it's a cherry on top. It's not necessary for Bitcoin to to thrive, but it's something that Wyoming is uniquely positioning itself to um, make it less of a pain in the ass um, for these companies to get fiat banking services. It sets up a chancery court in the state of Wyoming that deals specifically with the issues that come up with this type of corporate formation. So we'll be getting laws on the books, um, jurisdictional certainty for companies that come in and know that the rug's not going to get pulled out from under them. They're going to be screwed or they're not going to be, you know, dished out to some other court in some other state uh, with rules that they didn't know they were being beholden to. Again, Bitcoin doesn't give a shit. You can do, Bitcoin can be very successful, successful without any of this, but I can say personally as someone who's now, a part of running a Bitcoin company, this is pretty attractive stuff. Um, being able to um, uh, have this sort of certainty that your own government's not going to pull the rug out from under you. Yeah, it's huge. Thank you for all that work that you did in Wyoming. I mean, and hopefully it incites uh, other states to to make similar moves and it just becomes more commonplace and people... It will be interesting to see, like you just alluded to, how many companies actually move to Wyoming and if that makes other states jealous, especially if Bitcoin becomes uh, more commonplace throughout the U.S. and between U.S. citizens. What was you shared a chart with me uh, the uh, other week about like Wyoming's Wyoming could, like how much funding the state has compared to other states, like particularly New York, New Jersey, Illinois. How much funding? I'm trying to remember what that chart was. Uh, are you talking like, about the sovereign wealth fund that they run? that or it was something to do like with the budgets like how much oh yeah yeah just... yeah the budget surplus and you know yeah. Wyoming, Wyoming's really weird because you know i think I, it's so funny so do you, i don't want to lecture anyone here but like the state's right stuff you, you go into these uh these uh, legislative groups and it doesn't matter if you're a liberal or a conservative like the people in state legislators they take the 10th amendment really seriously and states the united states is so primed to dominate in a Bitcoin world because of the fact that we have states that are sovereign. And what you're talking about, I think is related to, you know, how, where does Wyoming's budget come from? 
Wyoming has its own sovereign wealth fund. I think it's one of three states, uh, at least it huh. used to be. New Mexico and Alaska also had a sovereign wealth fund. There might be more now, but um, because of all the energy production here uh, uh, and the fact that there's no state income tax, property taxes are super low. Like this is a good base for individuals uh, on the tax uh, side of things. Um, they get most of their taxes through, you know, these energy companies that are drilling oil, uh, the coal industry, uh, natural gas, all of that. And uh, it's a huge fund. Um, and they use that money for a lot of their budget. Um, uh, they, they have, if they have budget problems with their schools, the sovereign wealth fund comes in and, you know, covers the gap between the taxes and, and it helps keep the taxes low. And that sovereign wealth fund is uh, controlled by the treasurer um, ultimately, but also has like a chief investment officer who uh, invests that uh, invests that money on the behalf of the citizens of Wyoming, uh, just you know, kind of like Abu Dhabi or Singapore or anything like that. And um, so, yeah, I, I can't remember the exact numbers of the chart I showed you, but um, on a you know, per capita basis, you know, Wyoming's in good shape because of that fund uh, doesn't have as many, you know, I mean, they still get budgetary shortfalls when it comes to tax revenues and things like that, but um, uh, it's a good backstop. If I remember correctly, I think compared to like the baseline, it was something like 400 times overfunded yeah. compared to other states or something like that. It's like something insane. I mean, let's be, you know, honest here. It helps when you have about, you know, 520,000 people in the state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got, well, it'll be again with the, uh, with the lax Bitcoin regulation. Now Kanye making it popular to move to Wyoming. It'll be right? interesting to see if a bunch of people, um, begin moving there. I mean, it is, I've looked at land in Wyoming. It's pretty cheap. Yeah. Wait, man. Kanye moved to Wyoming. Yeah. Cody. He's, got, he, he's a uh, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett's neighbor up there in uh, Cody, Wyoming. He did a church wow. service that my wife uh, was talking about. I wasn't up there during it, but she was. Uh, yeah, embraced. What's that? Did she go? No, nah, she was driving back and said, hey, we just missed this thing. And uh, I was very disappointed. I think Kanye is a great man. And uh, I don't know much about his music. I just think he's a great man and uh, would uh, would have liked to have met him up there. Nah, that's one of my wife's biggest goals is to get to a Kanye Sunday service. But yeah, Matt, he's building a citadel in Wyoming. Yeah, that's badass. Is it near Jackson Hole? I it's, don't know Wyoming at all. So, so Cody is sort of northeast of the um, of uh, Yellowstone Park, really close to the Montana border. Uh, Jackson's on the south side of Yellowstone. Um, so, I mean, still relatively close, but a couple hours. Um, they're both in the in the northwest part of the state. Up. It's interesting how it's become like this rich enclave, you know, Wyoming. Yeah, it's just that area, really. Uh, the rest of the state, it's it's that's not true. Uh, Wyoming is a very working class um, place. It's almost all you know, ranching, um, uh, agriculture, uh, oil and gas type blue collar jobs. Um, uh, you get you have this little spot in Teton County, um, and then out to Cody, a little bit up in Sheridan on the other side of the state as well, near the Bighorn Mountains. But uh, it, it's 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 Jackson's a, a very singular thing that's very different from the rest of Wyoming, I would say. Beautiful, love it, but it's not representative at all. I have, I've actually um, I've been getting meats delivered by, uh, by a rancher, Carter Country Meats, out in Wyoming. Yes. And, uh, Are you getting it in the Yeti cooler? 
I have not. That, that my next order, I'm going to. I think I'm gonna. I'm gonna do it. Um, I've been getting the the eco friendly boxes to date. Those guys are great. Uh, a lot of the butcher shops that I go to in Wyoming source their meat from Carter Country. Awesome. They're up in Tin Sleep, Wyoming, middle of nowhere. Awesome place. Uh, they're an awesome company. You can order online. They have a deal with Yeti that's based in Austin, Texas, where uh, you can refill your uh, your uh, meat supplies, uh, keep it cold, and the best cold cooler in the world. And uh, uh, they're they're an awesome shop. They are. Their meat's really good too. Mm-hmm. They threw in a they threw in a tomahawk at my last order. That was incredible. Nice, thick tomahawks. Um, but from steaks to multisig, yeah, some Bitcoin native products. What uh, you you were mentioning this before we hit record. You you and Parker have been having conversations about Bitcoin native versus Bitcoin only. Is it verse or no? It's not verse. And yeah, I've been talking with you know Parker and Joe Kelly and Drew and um, a bunch of people at Unchained really about this. Uh, Phil Geiger um, is you know I know that uh, I remember listening Matt actually to you on uh, Peter McCormack where where y'all were talking a lot about the Bitcoin only companies and um, you know uh, one of the things that attracted me to Unchained was you know. I don't hold it, you know, the exchanges, you know, doing all, all you know, the exchange business model, having lots of different cryptocurrencies, you know, it doesn't bother me all that much. Um, but it wasn't a super attractive thing for me to work on. And when I was talking with the Unchained folks about joining them, like the, the, the focus on Bitcoin um, was certainly one of the things that, you know, got me going. It's what, why, what I wanted to spend my time on, you know, um, and they had some, Unchained has some history with this, right? Uh, originally, early, early on, they did both Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, backed loans. And I think it's important to bring this up uh, because like, it wasn't just like some Bitcoin maximalist, you know, you know, uh, company that, that started that way. It was a, a pragmatic decision to go to Bitcoin um, only. And uh, that decision was beca- really twofold was that, the market, you know, 3% of our business was in Ethereum because people weren't really using it as money. And the second is, is that when you're a startup and you have limited resources and you really want to, and you're dealing with something that requires such, you know, strong security, um, it stretches your engineering teams then when, when you want to do it the right way. And we were not outsourcing custody of our loan products back then. Uh, you know, Drew, our, our CTO, was not happy with the custody options and didn't want to put our users in that position. So we, you know, went to the Bitcoin protocol and did native multi-sig um, for uh, collateral for loans. Uh, on Ethereum, we uh, one of our really, really brilliant um, uh, developers created uh, our own uh, smart contract. And... Um, but it also scared the shit out of us. We, we, we really felt good about the Bitcoin stuff, but the smart contract stuff, you know, just hear horror story after horror story. And even, you know, the um, engineer Destry who built that smart contract, I think, you know, he told me he was relieved when we dropped that. Um, and so I said, you know, so it, I end up joining what becomes a Bitcoin only company. And as we're thinking about it, like, there are lots of companies that are Bitcoin only. And I think that that helps for the reasons I just mentioned, but um, I didn't think it was really descriptive enough and, and trying to describe like why these companies are Bitcoin only. Um, I don't think it's just 
it's because the companies are full of Bitcoin maximalists or something like that. Um, you know, our company has a wide variety of opinions on uh, cryptocurrencies and stuff like that. Not everyone's me or Parker, right? Um, and so this idea of like Bitcoin native kind of popped up. Um, and we're not trying to we're not trying to define for other people what Bitcoin native means, but for us, I think it's an, an apt description of what we're doing because um, we have this idea of you know all those sort of tenants of Bitcoin that when you get into it, it th that you first think about like, uh, oh, you learn about the supply cap and you learn about sovereignty and you learn about censorship, censorship resistance, sorry, um, auditability, security, things like that. You, you learn about these like aspects and, you know, the challenge that we've kind of put to ourselves is, you know, okay, if we want to be Bitcoin native, like how do we respect these things? Like how do we uh, get ourselves close to, um, to these things? So, um, I think about the Bitcoin supply cap, like what does, what does a company have to do with Bitcoin supply cap? And then I think back to S2X and when you have industry and companies trying to be forceful, uh, around the decisions around the protocol, like forcing hard fork, you know, the only way Bitcoin supply cap is ever going to get screwed up is through a hard fork. Right. And when you start demanding it because of your own business, right. And, uh, trying to form your own consensus, then um, uh, then you put that in jeopardy. Like I'm of the opinion that we, you know, then unless something existential comes up, there won't be another hard fork um, because of that's the only way you can change the most important thing about Bitcoin, um, that there's 21 million of them and that's non-negotiable. Um, so the Bitcoin native approach to that is to not put yourself in a bad position where you're trying to push things that could put something like that in danger, right? Where, you know, companies for better or worse sometimes can have an outsized voice and, um, or at least think they do, um, and some of these decisions and, you know, have sort of this policy and this understanding that you're not going to play that game. And then there's, you know, some, some more like practical things, like sort of the, the, the sayings that we all come, come, uh, come into Bitcoin, you know, sort of hearing eventually, which, you know, not your keys, not your Bitcoin, don't trust verify, uh, you know, those types of things. Uh, how do we sort of embody that as a company if we want to, and, and really this isn't necessarily because we're altruistic or it's because th this is the types of products that Bitcoiners demand from us. Like we have to meet market demand. Um, so building a Bitcoin native company and Bitcoin native products to, to us looks like, okay, let's start with not your keys, not your Bitcoin. You want to build a lending product. Shit, this is going to be hard, right? <laughs> like, uh, uh, okay, we have to take, we're going to do Bitcoin collateralized loans, but we really care about custody and, okay, this is going to be a hard problem to solve, right? And this is kind of, you know, this is before I started. This is Drew and Joe really thinking through this problem and deciding that the best way to do this would be not to outsource, you know, or to become a full custodian, but to allow um, the borrower to participate in the quorum of keys that is controlling that Bitcoin. So yeah, it's still, you know, you can't have sovereignty over your collateral because then you can take the dollars, take the, <laughs> take the Bitcoin and go run off. Uh, no one's going to lend you dollars in that sense. But if we say something, which we do, like we're not going to rehypothecate your collateral, Right, we're not going to go gamble with your collateral because the whole reason that you're taking out this loan is you don't want to lose your Bitcoin. Um, you don't have to trust us. You can get a key, you can spy on that address, and you can verify that we're not moving your funds. 
um, that was sort of the Bitcoin native way of doing loans, um, it, our best estimation. Uh, and maybe there's a better way and we're going to keep on, you know, trying to find it. Um, and it's the same thing for custody in general, right? That was our second product that we came out with. And this idea that how do we make multi-sig, which, I mean, I would argue is still fairly obscure amongst, you know, even, you know, semi-hardcore Bitcoiners. Um, how do we make this more ubiquitous? How do we get this into more people's hands? Because we know that there's demand for um, sovereignty, but it's not easy to do. And that um, there are some forms of self-sovereignty that even though that's great, better than having it on an exchange, isn't necessarily secure. And um, so what's what's that look like? And that was sort of the rabbit hole we went down with um, with collaborative custody. And that's our vaults product where, you know, uh, we do two or three multi-sig and, you know, your, your listeners know this, you, you've, you've done the, the drill on this. I won't go into too many details there. And, uh, but the, the sort of reasoning behind it and the way we're thinking about our strategy is um, thinking about this idea of Bitcoin native. How do we build our products that are as close to the protocol as possible? that are taking advantage of Bitcoin's unique qualities. Like you can't do a loan the way we do without Bitcoin. Um, you can't give the borrower some of the, uh, some of the benefits of knowing what's happening with their collateral without Bitcoin. And that's a pretty cool thing because what I want to be able to do, you know, being a part of a financial services company is not mimic what's happening in financial services today. It's building things that are unique to Bitcoin because that's where you know we can win and where we can uh, diverge from the legacy system. Plus, you know, th there are business models and financial services that just won't work in Bitcoin. Um, and so you have to find new ways to do things. And the more you understand about the native way Bitcoin works, the more successful you'll be in building that type of company. Um, can we unpack this a little bit? Because I think people are more confused uh, than we often realize, I've noticed. Okay. Um, with regards to uh, the way you do your collateralized loan product, okay, um, compared to a custodial a custodial solution, which is what most most of these loan offerings are, where there's full custody. Mm -hmm. um, you want to explain that for the listeners? Yeah, yeah absolutely. You guys, you guys sort of get looped into to competitors who who don't let users track their collateral. Yeah, and you know, I, I, it, that's unfortunate, and it, and it is it is a nuanced thing. It's kind of hard to understand what the repercussions of that are. So I'll I'll I'll, I'll do my my best job here uh, that I can. So the way we do loans is, um, for whatever reason, uh, if you want dollars and you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, an option is to take a loan against that Bitcoin. Um, I'm not here to push that on anyone or anything. It, you know, if you don't want to do that, don't do that. If you want to sell your Bitcoin, do that. It comes with consequences. You know, if you have to meet margin calls, it can be fucking scary. Um, but also it can, you know, done right. It can be something that really helps you out in your life. If, if, if you don't want to sell your Bitcoin and, um, but you need dollars for whatever reason. So the way we do that is, yeah, you have to give us Bitcoin. Uh, we collateralize it basically at a two to one ratio. So if you want $100,000 or if you want 20,000, let's say you want a $20,000, um, uh, you would give us at that time $40,000 worth of Bitcoin and we would put it into a multi-sig arrangement where you have one of the keys 
we have one of the keys and a third party that we are uh, that we have a contract with uh, has one key and um, that setup uh, is interesting for a few reasons one is uh, unlike you know having it in a full custody option there's not a single point of failure so if say you lost your key or we lost our key or the third party lost their key we still have a way to sweep those funds into a new address um, for hacker purposes and things like that. Uh, there's not one custodian to come after your collateral. And remember, you're taking this loan out typically because specifically you don't want to sell. Like, like you want to get this Bitcoin back uh, is, is the reason you're doing this. So all those security measures, I would think that you would care about how your Bitcoin's being stored similarly to if you were storing it yourself. Um, obviously, we can't give you full sovereignty over the Bitcoin in this type of arrangement. But it's not just that you have that key, right? And it's not just that the security is better in this model. It's also that we, we promise that when you give us your Bitcoin, we are not going to then take that Bitcoin and then go lend it out to other you know, market makers, short sellers, et cetera, and to go gamble with your Bitcoin. Again, the whole purpose you gave us this Bitcoin to begin with was that you didn't want to lose it, right? So we're going to do everything we can to help that not happen, which includes not rehypothecating, which is what that means, right? Uh, when you have collateral that then gets lent out and lent out and lent out. Um, uh, we don't do that, it just sits there. Um, and you don't have to trust us. You have a key, you can look at that address and you can see if we move it. And if we do, we've broken our contract with you. Um, or something bad has happened and you can call us out on that. That's never happened, uh, we don't expect it to, but um, uh, it's a way for you to hold us accountable and to sort of keep that ethos in mind, right? The, you know, don't trust verify nature that Bitcoin allows us to have this relationship with our clients. And um, I'm gonna stop there for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> there's trust, but it's trust minimized. Yeah, uh, yeah. Significantly from a full custodial offering. Yes, I would agree. Yeah, there is trust and I don't want to, you know, uh, uh, make anyone think that there isn't. Um, you, when you do this, you are KYCing with us. Um, hell, I, I wish we didn't have to, but in loan, when you're offering this type of financial service in the jurisdictions that we operate in, it's the game that we play. Um, if people don't want to use it because of that reason, totally support that, right? Um, uh, but um, I, I still... You know, I look at, you know, competitors out there who do do full custody. Um, maybe they save you a point on the, on the, uh, on the interest rate because they're rehypothecating your Bitcoin or something like that. And that's not the type of product I, I would want. Um, I look at the DeFi options and the, and the shit show with all the, uh, the flash crashes and everything that happened and like, you know, uh, there and you don't have anyone to call or anyone to talk to. You got, customer service, you have a trust minimized option, you can hold this accountable. I think that's a pretty legit product offering. And honestly, you know, I'm not a loans customer. Like I, 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 I didn't use that product myself, but when I met Joe and Drew originally and they described like the, I mean, kind of the crazy links they went through to try to build this product in the most Bitcoin native way they could, you know, uh, with trust minimization, um, with this custody model. I was pretty impressed, to be honest. Uh, this is before I worked there, and uh, it made me more interested in the company overall. Yeah, that's what really impressed me about Drew and Joe early on. Drew was on this podcast very early in the game. Mm -hmm. He approached it with a security-first mindset, and then so like making sure that he could build the products in-house and secure the Bitcoin 
And at one point, he had like the only audited Ethereum smart contract that was actually legitimately safe. Like it was at one point, as safe uh, as we could get it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, And then the product just grew from there, asking customers what they wanted. Like people asked for the loan product, and it's like, all right, we're going to build it and we'll give that to you in this way if you want it. Uh, And again, with the security first mindset, I think. What's most admirable and why I love working with you guys is um, is you open source everything. Like if you're using these tools, like you want and you want Bitcoiners to have the same security that your products have. Uh, you just open open source the the tools that you're using, and I think that's extremely admirable. And uh, so I guess this natural segue into Caravan and and why you guys do that. Yeah, uh, Caravan's a is a cool thing that we've been working on. Um, and as you mentioned, it's um, it's very similar. You know, we you know we did we didn't talk as much about the vault stuff, but that same sort of you know sharing of keys you can do with just a vault where you take two keys and and uh, we take one as a backup. In that case, you're giving up privacy, uh, right? So we know we know the address and the amount in there, but we don't have the ability to move funds. So um, there. Are, you know, trade-offs again in, in this uh, scenario. With Caravan, uh, Caravan really is kind of a <laughs> pick your poison, do whatever you want type thing, right? It, it is open source. It's um, it's built much in the same way. Um, it's a little bit more flexible than our own uh, proprietary product. And we're starting to use more and more of the Caravan libraries, underlying libraries in our proprietary product, again, for that trust minimization to live up to our own standard there. But uh, mostly what our decision to build Caravan and release it in November of last year was this concept of, well, what makes us special as like a company is actually not multi-sig. In fact, we think that multi-sig is going to be commoditized, um, that everyone's going to use it in some fashion or another, and that's not our secret sauce. It's not, you know, just like financial services companies, they they compete on technology and they are technology companies to some extent, but multi-sig was certainly not a defensible technology that we were gonna like win in the market on. And so one of the things that we made a conscious decision of was, trying to put our thumb on the scale and um, uh, get more people using multi-sig, whether they're using our product or not. Um, and I think having a dedicated open source multi-sig uh, product out there is something that will um, appeal to some people that our proprietary product won't appeal to, which is fine. Um, but it's better to get more people on multi-sig. It also creates more conversations and breeding ground for all the different people that are working on multi-sig to, you know, talk about standard, talk about interoperability and talk about, you know, um, you know, the software and hardware um, interoperability that you need to do uh, multi-sig uh, self, self-sovereignty. Um, so Caravan, what it started out as uh, was really that idea that, you know, everyone should be using multi-sig, whether it's with, w- w- through our proprietary product or not. And also it could benefit our proprietary product. Um, uh, so what if you had a vault with us where you had two keys and we had one and our website was down? Like, what would you do? You could go to Electrum, um, uh, but Electrum is, you know, it's, it's fabulous software in a lot of ways, but it does a lot of stuff. It's multi-purpose. It's kind of the best thing about it is that it does everything. And the worst thing about it is that it does everything. And we were thinking that 
um, to make people feel really secure with using multi-sig, even on our proprietary side, we needed a backup. What if we're not around for you? What if we can't countersign? What if you, what if, what if you don't even want us to countersign, but you're just using us as a coordinator and our website goes down? Um, what are you going to do? Well, you can easily just take your, your keys, go over to, to Caravan and, um, and do your spins through, through there, um, uh, without permission from anyone. Um, and that, that's pretty cool. I think, uh, it adds, it, it both does something for the open source world and multi-sig like I started at the beginning, but it also helps our product or anybody's product that's, um, that's offering something, um, similar to us is that their clients can go to Caravan and spend outside of that proprietary world. It started off as you know pretty naive, right? We wanted to do one thing and one thing well, and it was more of an address coordinator. Uh, when you started, you'd come in, you'd have your private keys, you need your redeem script and BIP32 pass, put in the redeem script, put in the BIP32 pass, you can sign, you can generate that address and spend it however you wanted. Recently, in the last couple of weeks, we've uh, released an update to Caravan, which I think I, I think y'all covered a little bit on, um, but um, the uh, the the main difference here is that it's no longer an address coordinator. It's really a, a full-blown multi-sig wallet. And uh, that was a big step in terms of functionality and uh, value for uh, open source customers. So the, the big changes here, um, uh, you know, number one is just XPubs, uh, is that instead of dealing with uh, just redeem scripts and public keys, you're now dealing on the uh, XPub uh, layer, which is generating a multi-sig wallet, coordinating all these extended public keys, and um, and then next after that, giving you the ability to spend from any of the addresses in that wallet. So it's not a single address thing anymore. Um, that was really big. Uh, some some cool little things that we can do now, uh, like you can you can download your uh, like a little JSON file. Uh, sort of similar to a cold card where you do wallet initialization, it's the same information. Um, you can download the pub key, uh, the XPubs, uh, bit 32 paths, et cetera. You can store that securely however you want. Um, good thing to note on that. What's the, what are the repercussions of losing a file like that? No one can steal your Bitcoin because they can't sign with that stuff, but you do lose privacy if you lose that file. So best to encrypt it, but put it in a password manager, you know, however you feel safe doing that, depending on the value of uh, what you're storing in that wallet. Um, you know, it's not the end of the world if you lose that, that file, but you'll probably want to sweep funds uh, if, if you do. But anyway, you can get that, that nice cool file that, uh, so that you're not manually plugging stuff in every time, or you can manually plug stuff in every time, doesn't matter. Initialize the wallet and boom, your wallet's up on Caravan. And the reason I bring that up is that Caravan is stateless. So it's not like you have an account that you can log into and it's remembering the details of your wallet. Every time you interact with Caravan, it's every new session, basically, you have to build the wallet from scratch. It's tabula rasa. Um. Then so. the state is essentially saved in the JSON file. Well, yeah, that's the that that's what builds the, the wallet, and you don't yeah. have to use that. Um, once you build the wallet the first time, you can decide like, hey, I'm going to use this a lot, and I want to encrypt this you know file on my computer. You can download that JSON file, or if you're bringing, uh, you know, there's still again one of the reasons is we got to figure this out amongst people that are doing this. Um, Electrum allows you to create a file like this, so does Cold Card want to get something that is interoperable between everything there. Yeah. And that's, that's uh, like you mentioned, that's uh, standardization is a huge 
unknown right now. And that's why I like this version of Caravan uh, particularly is because of the testing suite that you guys built um, that can sort of start pushing the ball down that path. Yeah. Is that a correct assumption to make with, with the testing suite? Yeah, I mean, it's it's the ultimate goal. It's not there yet, but th that is kind of, you know, if Caravan's successful, this is one of the ways it can succeed. You know, even if it's not successful as a ubiquitous wallet that everyone's using, say if hardware manufacturers before they release new form firmware or, you know, something like that ran their hardware through this testing suite that, um, that Caravan has, which is, um, you know, checking, you know, some standard multi-signature bit 32 paths that is uh, making sure that the hardware wallet can generate and sign, you know, all the different addresses, P2SH, P2WSH, P2SH, dash P2WSH, all that type of stuff. Uh, you, you're, you're, you're kind of going through the, the suite and making sure that it's compatible with all the different multi-sig addresses that you want to send to. Um, if we could do that, uh, I think that alone would be a really big win. Um, and through the process of developing Caravan, we've had other wins like this, like where, um, you know, Trezor has an open source, you know, it's open source as well. We noticed that um, there was no way for us to confirm multi-sig addresses on, um, on the device, which is uh, something we really, you know, it's, it's a security flaw, right? Uh, man in the middle attacks uh, on your browser and stuff like that. And like, you know, you can mitigate them. And, uh, but at the same time, if you really want to be sure, you want to get that address showing up on the hardware device to confirm it. Um, we were able to collaborate, you know, really, it didn't take much. Uh, I think Druv, it was, uh, wrote some code, put in a PR, Trezor guys responded, uh, liked it, got it into Trezor Connect 8. And so once, you know, we updated Trezor Connect 8, now when you're on Caravan, you can confirm multi-sig addresses on the device. Like that's the type of win that I want to come through Caravan. And I think that it's reasonable to expect that like if that were just our proprietary app or we're just pushing this stuff through that, that it wouldn't be as convincing. Um, and it's nice to have Caravan to kind of uh, uh, build up those, uh, those use cases and um, um, yeah. Yeah, those fundamentals. It's uh... Yeah, I mean, I, I was, it's funny, to, not funny, but it's incredible to see uh, how fast this, this new version of Caravan came out. Because when Dhruv uh, demoed it, the first version of Caravan in the fall to us, he he asked, like, what what do you guys want? And the first question I asked is, like, why can't I dump an X-Pub in here? And yeah. to see, like, five months later, six months later, it's already there is it's incredible. You guys are reacting to user feedback, which is... What, uh, what I'd like to see in a Bitcoin native company. It's, it's reacting to the users, not really just building stuff just to build. Yeah, there's the no use there, building it. Oh, go ahead. The, the key there for the listeners is is you don't want to reuse addresses. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and, you know, uh, I look I look at it and, and say um, there was a reason we had built things in a way, you know, like uh, at the beginning, but uh, certainly the way people were using our product over time they wanted more wallet functionality, right? Um, uh, they wanted to, you know, even though it's a cold storage vault, it turns out if you build a really good cold storage vault that isn't a pain in the ass to use, um, people will transact. Like, it, uh, uh, you know, most of it, you know, might be staying in cold storage, but you you realize that you do want to spend from it more often and, and move money around. And we had to sort of react to like, oh shit, this isn't just going to sit in an address forever. Um, 
<coughs> and uh, you know, bringing that wallet, wallet functionality was, you know, a really big deal. The other thing is that it's, it's it's also just absolutely necessary in order to work with, you know, <coughs> anything that's PSBT. So cold card, probably probably future versions of Trezor. I, I'm assuming at some point they're going to use that little SD card for PSBT. The, Any day now. I, you know, I keep on hearing it. They're using it for something. I, I don't know what it was. It was something really it's like obs- 2FA. Yeah, it was kind of obscure and weird. I mean, it's fine. Uh, and I assume they're going to do it eventually. But uh, I know Christopher Allen's working on some open source um, uh, uh, iPhone uh, wallet that's PSBT based that we want to make sure care of. Fully noted. Yeah, fully noted. That's right. Yeah. Uh, Hopefully, we see Ledger add PSBT too. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, all of them but, should uh, be good. Biggest question uh, from the freaks who want to use Caravan is mm-hmm. when cold card. Yeah, dude, I hear it all the time. Uh, I, I tease our uh, director of product marketing, Phil Geiger, who uh, I think every time anyone ever uh, asks him about cold card, he sends me a message, which means I get multiple messages every single day about it. And uh, he points to Twitter every single time someone responds to some unchained tweet with, you know, win cold card. And I'm convinced at this point that he's just creating sock puppets and like, you know, trolling me to uh, speed up the development here. Uh, it's, it's actively being worked on right now. So uh, if you know Caravan, there are some open source libraries that it uses um, uh, primarily unchained wallets and unchained Bitcoin, uh, both, both open source uh, unchained wallets is uh, what, uh, is how Caravan interacts with all the different hardware wallets. And so <clears throat> the first thing that we're doing is uh, we are finally ripping the Band-Aid off and uh, our internal proprietary product is going to be consuming unchained wallets uh, and how it uh, interacts with hardware wallets, which is a big first step. And the next step in that is, <clears throat> excuse me, is adding PSBT and cold card support to unchained wallets. Happening right now. Uh, it's a lot of work, um, you know, because we're teaching Caravan and our uh, products about PSBT for the first time. But um, we know everyone wants to see it. I love Cold Card. I love the guys that work on Cold Card, um, and it's it's a fantastic product. We're gonna get it supported real soon here. Soon, TM. It's coming, freaks. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> Two I've weeks. So I said it so many times in the ad read. They're like, "When's it coming?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, it's coming." Yeah, uh, uh, you, you can point your you can point your tweets towards me, uh, and uh, uh, every tweet speeds it up a day. No, no, actually, please, <laughs> please don't do that. I know how much I roll. So, yeah, take your time. Do it right. Yeah, don't do it at all. That's the way to do it. Yes, uh, Matt. Yeah, I just wanted to just all this sounds really complicated. Like the reason Caravan is such a big deal is because it is insanely simple to use for what you would expect. You would think it'd be way more complicated, um, but it's worth it for people to just go give it a try. Uh, if you if you have a Trezor T uh, and you can enter the passphrase right on the right on the touch screen, you're able to create multiple wallets. Every passphrase is a different wallet, so you mm-hmm. can actually simulate a multisig with a single piece of hardware. Uh, with very little, put a very little bit of Bitcoin in there, then spend it out. Uh, it's that's my favorite way to learn is to actually try it and do it. And I, I think it's well within reach of a lot of the freaks when they think it's it's more overwhelming than it is. Yeah, you've been uh, you've been making drunk multi sigs with Caravan. Yeah, not advised uh, <laughs> according to Unchained Capital, but it, but it is possible if American Hodl can make a multi sig drunk. Uh, I think most of the freaks can do it. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'd love that. I mean, for I mean, we really do want to make multi-sig easy. And conceptually, it can seem intimidating. But I'm telling you, if you go in and play with it, you're going to figure it out. If you have a hardware wallet, if you have a Trezor, if you have a Ledger, get going. Um, I, I'd love to hear your feedback. That's another, you know, <clears throat> one of the things with Caravan is I we, we're not being super ambitious with features. I don't want it to be everything for everyone. I want it to be really good at a very narrow set of things. And I want it to be simple and, and uh, uh, simple to use. So it's supposed to be a multi-sig stateless wallet. I want it to be an awesome multi-sig stateless wallet. Yeah, there's some features I want to add, but mostly we want to battle test this. And if you're interested in that, <coughs> excuse me, it's open source, go play with it. Tweet at us, put in a PR, do whatever you want to do. Tell us why it's awesome or sucks. Um, it's really helpful. And so I'm trying to, trying to think of where I want to go here. So Caravan version two is out. Like what, like you mentioned, you want some more stuff in it. Like what, how do you think it could be better moving forward? I want it to be easier to add new hardware wallets um, that it supports. So whether it's cold card, fully noted, I have, you know, I get, I get all these people sending me hardware wallets now and uh, got to try them out and see if we can support them. Uh, so it's easier for hardware wallet manufacturers if they want to, to get supported in Caravan. Uh, so we want to make that whole process a little bit easier. Uh, like to be able to get into um, address labeling. Um, I know that that's uh, been asked for many times and would be super helpful. Uh, I want to make it easier for <clears throat> people that are using multi-sig on other platforms. So standardization around this wallet initial initialization to make sure that Caravan can be interoperable. Uh, you know, obviously we want it to be operable with the unchained vaults, but uh, interoperable with any multi-sig um, uh, vault that you might have out there because it can be a backup for everyone. Um, there. So uh, those are the types of things and really making sure that we keep our own ambitions kind of neutral to the sense that we're being hyper reactive to the open source people that form around this that really care about it because um, we know our use cases for it, but there's going to be a lot more that comes out there and it takes time for these things to grow. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the labeling when we went through the demo, you explained to us why it's sort of tricky with multi-sig. Um, what, what are the problems with labeling currently? It's not, a, it's not, it's not that there are problems necessarily. It's just that it's, it's, it's not an easy feature to bring in. And it wasn't something that, uh, you know, looking at the priority of stuff, like this was a bear to build like this, you know, I've been learning this since December, right? I, I, I haven't been around building stuff on Bitcoin for a super long time is that, I wanted to really more than anything uh, re reduce the feature set to something that we could be really proud of and know that it was secure. And the, the labeling stuff more than anything just came down to a, a nice to have at that point, like get the wallet functionality rock solid, um, get the, get the uh, sort of UTXO management rock solid, <clears throat> all of that stuff first. Um, it's not that address labeling is impossible or, you know, anything like that. It's just one of those things that, will come with time. <laughs> and the reason labeling is nice is because you have this nice coin control where you could pick which UTXOs you spend from Caravan, but let's say two years down the line, three years down the line, you're trying to pick which UTXOs you're going to spend and you don't know what those UTXOs are from. So if you have these nice labels, then you can go back and you can be like, okay, I bought these 
from Cash App or I got this from an invoice I sent or, or mm-hmm. whatnot? Uh, these coins are KYC. These ones aren't. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, I mean, there's lots of valid reasons to want to label. And, you know, just, you know, from Caravan's perspective, there are other wallets that do it. So we want to be interoperable. We want to be a backup. We want to, you know, uh, stuff like that. Uh, we're going to want to be able to do that for sure. I kind of want to talk about Hermit because I think it's badass and we don't talk about it enough. Ooh, do you want to chill us Hermit? I, you know, I'm, I'm the wrong person for that. Uh, Hermit is badass and we don't talk about it enough. And it's something that, uh, uh, that I know I should know more about, but, uh, you know, I haven't spent a lot of time on yet, you know, in my first, you know, few months working at Unchained. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe that's a good reason to get Drew on again, you know, one of these days since he hasn't been around for a long time. <laughs> what is the high level on Hermit again? Hermit basically, uh, it's, it's, it's a good way to, to sign, right? Like we can uh, use it. It's open source again. Uh, so I'll pull up here. Um, if you give me just a second. Well, the cool thing to Hermit about Hermit for me is that uh, it has Shamir's secret sharing. So you can <laughs> shard a key. So used in combination with multisig, it allows you to take a single multisig key and then you can split up that key in a bunch of shards. So then you can have, and they have this hierarchy system built into it. So you can have like different levels of shards you know, if it's an upper management or a lower management, and uh, when the threshold comes together of those different hierarchies, then you can get access to that single key. So you can like further, even though the multi-sig might be a two of three, mm-hmm. one of those keys could end up sharded between a hundred different people of different hierarchies. So it gets really, really powerful really quickly. Yeah, it, it can really help, uh, you know, with a uh, geographically dispersed signing um if you ha- you know uh, corporate governance type things where it's like oh, okay well we had an employee here that had access to one of our keys or you know a, a bit of that key and now they're gone and like you know there's it's a way to really sort of scale up that governance of your uh, how you handle <clears throat> signing for multi-sig um and, it, and it's really cool. We're, uh, it, it's another tool. It's separate from Caravan that is completely open source. I know that uh, uh, we've had uh, you know groups like Blockchain Commons and Chris Brown look into it before. Um, and uh, something that we work on ourselves. Um, to, again, we try to consume all of our own open source stuff as well. Yeah, it's completely badass. And that's, I mean, I think, again, fawning over you guys. Disclaimer on Chain's... Uh, sponsor of this podcast yeah probably throw that disclaimer in the beginning <laughs> I'll, I'll put it in the intro yeah yeah when i read when i read the ad um uh no i think you guys are leading the way an example of of giving back to bitcoin mm-hmm. through these open source projects it's not and it's not only the open source projects the the blog series you've written a couple already um Parker's obviously got gradually, then suddenly Phil's writing, Drew's writing some really cool stuff, (laughs) futuristic use cases of Bitcoin and HODL waves. I think you guys are a great example of of giving back to Bitcoin and and sort of showing what other companies probably should be doing. Like some some that have been around for a while have yet to adopt SegWit or uh, contribute to development of Bitcoin and. You guys are just running a little humble shop in Austin, Texas, uh, working away, just just doing hard work and, and leading by example, in my opinion. 
Hey man, uh, I, I mean, I appreciate it. And, you know, being a relatively new member of the team, you know, this is what you're saying there. That's what attracted me to, to work there. Right. Um, uh, there, there are a lot of good companies in Bitcoin. Um, but I feel like, uh, what we're doing at Unchained right now is doing it the right way. I, I also wanted to point out one thing that we missed is, uh, one of the big things on Hermit is, uh, you can do this all air gapped, which is one of the, uh. <clears throat> one of the big, uh, I do. That's one of the internal use cases that uh, why we're very high on it. But I do encourage people. There's a there's a good blog that uh, Driven the team wrote um, before I joined on Hermit. If you want to go check it out on the Unchained Capital blog, which is you know dominated by those uh, series that Marty just mentioned, the the gradually the yeah. suddenlies and multi-sig uh, beginners guides and stuff like that. Yeah, that's. No, uh... <clears throat> nice, well-rounded shop. And you guys are adding more products to the mix, too. You recently, a couple weeks ago or maybe a week ago, announced slowly rolling out uh, an OTC desk in Texas only. How's that been going, and what's what's that product look like? Oh, it's cool. Uh, one of the things that when I joined is I had this this line in my head of, you know, what is a product that I've always wanted that I can uniquely build at a company like Unchained because of some of the stuff that they've already done. And that line is kind of a mouthful, but I think everyone uh, here will get it, which is I want to be able to buy Bitcoin directly in to cold storage multi-sig with keys that I control. Now it's a mouthful, but the concept's simple. I want to be sovereign over my money and I don't want the counterparty risk of an exchange. Um, and how can I do that? Well, we have the vaults. Um, how can we help people buy directly into the vaults? Well, you know, it's not that simple, right? It's a shit show. There's uh, the regulatory shit show out there. You know, you can't just turn that on, even though technically it's not the craziest thing in the world. So, but we are starting to make that true. Uh, it's not a retail thing right now. It's more of an OTC style, you know, high, high, you know, high volume type um, buying uh, activity. Uh, that is opened up in Texas now. Um, so minimum would be, you know, 50 K ish, um, sort of buys there are institutions and, and high net worth individuals, stuff like that, that buy Bitcoin like that. Um, that's what OTCs are for. And when they buy Bitcoin with us, um, essentially they put in their trade and their Bitcoin, uh, once the dollar is clear, goes directly into an unchained vault with keys that they control. I am fucking pumped about this. <laughs> like I, it's, it's hard to contain my excitement on this is that like, this is something that, you know, we've been telling people forever, you know, like don't keep your Bitcoin on exchanges. Like don't keep your Bitcoin in full custody places, but there aren't really good ways to buy Bitcoin or to receive Bitcoin or to do this on ramp off ramp type uh, transaction where you don't have significant counterparty risk. And again, our, 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 our solution is not risk less, but again, trying to get to that trust minimized as much as we possibly can. We're, we're, we're at least getting one of that, uh, one of those layers um, sort of out of there. One of that, uh, one of those pieces of counterparty risk eliminated, which is keeping your coins for any amount of time on an exchange. Um, so yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's only been going for a couple of weeks now. Um, and um, it is only available in Texas uh, for now, but you know, I think what you'll see is us grow out this OTC sort of functionality um, throughout the United States, um, you know, work on our own internal processes, um, automation, all that type of stuff that will make this a lot simpler. And um, 
then hopefully, you know, if the regulatory stuff works out the way we want it to, be able to do some retail around this eventually. Uh, not this year. Hell yeah. No, it's, it's been, again, like very interesting to see your product suite evolve. It's from simple collateralized loans to uh, multi-sig vaults and now OTC. Like what, how do you envision... What do you envision Unchained looking like in five, ten years? What What is the product suite like? What about post hyper Bitcoinization when you're not even connected to uh, the U.S. dollar at some point? Like how do you How do you evolve your services then? Yeah, I mean that's what we're counting on, right? Uh, you know, to a certain extent, when you're Bitcoin native or Bitcoin only, right, is that you're you're uh, sort of throwing out the steering wheel and letting Bitcoin take you where it's going. So uh, we are. Uh, Definitely, you know, number go up is a big thing for us. Um, and, you know, our business sort of goes as Bitcoin goes. And in five or 10 years, I mean, I don't, I don't want to scare people on the podcast. I'm, I'm too bullish. Like, it, I don't want to come out looking like a <laughs> lunatic, but that's one of, okay, so I want people to hear this message on keeping your own keys. And I know that, you know, everyone on this podcast has heard that a thousand times. And I guarantee you that, you know, 25% of them still haven't made that jump. Uh, self custody, you know, get control of your Bitcoin keys because right now you might have $500 sitting on an exchange and it doesn't feel like a big deal. But if we're talking about what's the future of Unchained in five years, what's the future of Bitcoin in five years, that $500 could be $50,000 and now you're sitting on an extremely large amount of money. And um, you have to plan for this type of stuff and not be in, you know, learn about it and understand it before uh, these scary moments hit you in the face and you're like, Oh my God, like I'm, I have significant exposure to these third parties that, um, that I'm trusting too much, hold your own keys or learn how to hold your own keys right now because your hundreds are going to be thousands and your thousands are going to be 10,000s and your 10,000s are going to be hundreds of thousands. And, uh, but that's the future that we're building towards. We expect that to happen with Bitcoin. Um, if it doesn't happen with Bitcoin, then our company is not going to work out. Most Bitcoin companies aren't going to work out if that doesn't happen. Uh, we are building towards that future. So what type of products? Um, <clears throat> yeah, this buy Bitcoin stuff, maybe that's not a big deal in five or 10 years, <laughs> right? Um, or 15 years. That's fine. Right now, I'd like to help people obtain Bitcoin as much as I can in the most trust-minimized ways that they can. But in the future, I look at it this way. I could draw a chart you know, with a line down the middle, just a piece of paper, and list out what do people do with money right now, right? Uh, what are financial services that exist in the world? And on the other side, I put the attributes of Bitcoin, like what are these things to, that make Bitcoin unique? And then I say, okay, well, what are the things that people do with money right now that Bitcoin negates? Or what business models don't work anymore because of Bitcoin's the way it is? A lot of the rehypothecation stuff, I don't think any of those risk models are going to stand up in a hyper-Bitcoinization world. Um, it, makes, it makes financial services, I think, more boring, which I think is good. <laughs> it, it makes them much more risk-adverse, which I think is good. I've been doing, you know, some... I'm still early in my journey here and I'd love to, uh, you know, if someone on Twitter can point me in some good directions, then I've been learning a little bit more about, you know, banking under the gold standard and financial products under the gold standard. And these ideas of like buying a house with 10% down or 20% down, that is not a fucking thing in 1920. You know, you were either just buying with the money that you had because you had to buy a house or you, you know, maybe you could get, you could finance 30% of it or something like that. Right. 
Um, I think the financial products that we end up having are much more risk adverse in the future. Um, and that what does a financial services institution look like? It's providing all the different types of transactions you might want to do, whether that is a lending type transaction, whether that is a savings transaction, whether that is a, uh, you know, maybe we'll be, you know, helping people onboard people onto lightning um, and making sure that there is a portion of their Bitcoin that they don't want in cold storage, that they want to be more readily available and provide those channels and hubs for them to transact out of. Um, I think that, Basically everyone, you know, my theory on this is that everyone you see as a Bitcoin company right now is going to converge on the same product suite. Some of them might be more focused on on-ramp off-ramps right now. Some of them might be more focused on storage right now, long-term storage. Some of them are more focused on peer-to-peer -peer spending, you know, and transactions. But ultimately what a financial services company does is they try to facilitate all of those types of transactions for their uh, customers uh, in the cheapest way possible. And the ones that um, do that are the most successful ones. So that's what our product suite looks like in the future. We're gonna be a financial services company and as Bitcoin is used in different ways we will uh, by customers, we will have to react. I personally like starting at the custody point. I think it's the most important problem to solve first is how is the Bitcoin gonna be stored? and doing that in the most trust minimized way. And then you build on top of that. Um, you build the loan products, you build the, uh, the lightning um, uh, connections, you build the on-ramp off-ramps and all that stuff. But um, that's kind of my view on it. And I think we all sort of converge at some point. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. It's so crazy being at this being alive at this point in time where it's still so raw but you can see like i wrote about it this week you can slowly but surely it's things are coming coming together it's getting easier to use all this stuff like the bitcoin wallet tracker software that was released this week so i heard about that to connect to a, yeah yeah makes it easier to connect to your full node you guys dropping caravan makes it easier to set up multi-sig uh, the on and off ramps for as long as they're needed they be, they're becoming more bountiful um it's it's an exciting time. Dude, how lucky are we? Very lucky. How lucky are we to be doing this right now? Like, uh, you know, I, I think back, you know, dot com, you know, uh, time, you know, 98, you know, most of the people that were making moves there had been thinking about this stuff since the early 90s. They waited a decade to get to, like, you know, really commercialize this and, like, you know, build real businesses on the internet. And they've been thinking about this forever. And, um, I remember I was just, I was just a little bit too young. I, I was in high school, you know, like uh, I was young and or I was in middle school really uh, when, when that first started, you know, 96 uh, and then high school during the big boom in uh, 98, 99. Um, and, um, and I felt so crappy like four years later, like I just missed everything. Like I wasn't a part of that and we get to do it. Like we get to do it right now where it's, you know, it's the right time. And, uh, you know, the right age, the right time, the right prerequisites to sort of like, know that you should jump on this early. I feel so incredibly lucky to just, like, be doing this right now. It's so cool. No, it's, I mean, it's, I feel fortunate. Yeah, lucky, fortunate. Um, grateful. Blessed, grateful. Yeah. yeah, all those, all those words. Um, Will, thank you for all you've done for Bitcoin. Thank you for what you guys are doing at Unchained. Um, one product request from this freak uh down the line i am uh interested in inheritance uh 
products, making that easier. Um, just oh. some selfish, some selfish uh, product requests from from the podcast. We we got we got some stuff in store there. Uh, we uh, you know we already support it. Um, you know if you have a you know a revocable trust or something like that, you can set up a vault uh, through that mechanism. It's pretty simple to do that. But uh, you know maybe there's some more cypherpunky cool Bitcoin native ways to do that. I don't know. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look. Yeah, we'll take that as a hint. Yeah, we'll yeah. Take that fuck yes. Hint. Um, Matt, do you have any other questions before we wrap up here? No, this is great. I enjoyed yeah. it as always. Um, Will, I appreciate your time. I hope I cannot wait. I don't hope I cannot wait for the day where I come out to your to your Wyoming fortress and and go fly fishing. Yeah, man, uh, you can come uh, to the first Wyoming Citadel out here. Uh, we'll have some uh, some grass raised beef. Go do some fly fishing. It'll be a fun time. Yeah, I want to see you and Parker do the uh, the nine hundred degree sear. Um, oh yeah, oh we we we've, we can outdo that now. Eleven hundred degrees. Yeah, eleven hundred. Yeah. How long does it take to cook that steak? Like a minute and a half, if that. Uh yeah, if you sous vide, it's about it's under two minutes. Yeah. Boss. All right. Um, where can we find you on Twitter at at W Cole or at Will Cole? At Will Cole on Twitter. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, just no win Cole cards. It's coming. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> uh, that's something that's uh m- most people on twitter think you have long hair oh yeah that's right uh that's that's the last professional photo i had taken back in my stack overflow days uh i, I don't get a lot of uh professional photos but i, I do have short hair now so yeah Br- bring back the flow yeah I, I yeah i was about to with all this quarantine shit but finally got my barber yeah, yeah. Matt, uh, Matt grows his flow out during bull markets. He he likes to rub it in people's faces. That hey, I don't care. I grow it out. As is tradition. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for your time. Hope you enjoy the rest of your afternoon. Thanks, Marty. That's all we got today for. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Cheers. Peace and love. Thank you.